Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and this is another episode of The Canteen, one of our segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. We're continuing our series in the book of 1 John called Thieves of Joy, this week examining false prophets. Our culture and our world throw a lot of ideas our way, many of which are contrary to God's word. So when we encounter these false ideas, they're a threat to lead us away from the truth and the joy that God has for us. So let's listen into Pastor Blake as he talks about how to counter those false prophets, cling to the truth, and experience fullness of joy in this week's message. guys like to stand uh, as we read from 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 to set our uh, minds on what the Lord has to say this morning. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of the truth and the spirit of deception. It's the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to ask a special group of people to to stand real quick. Uh, Over the last couple weeks, several of you have been instrumental in helping to uh, renovate our kids' area, and uh, we just want to recognize you in here this morning, but also the kids want to say thank you. And so uh, if, if that was you, I, I, I'm going to resist the temptation to start listing you off by name because I'll certainly miss somebody. I, I sent you a text this week. If you, would, if you would stand and let us applaud you as you make your way back to the kids' area so that the kids can thank you, I would, I would love that. So, all right, there, here's the, Smith, the Smithers, the Embry, Miss Laura, Mika, the Noels. Sailors coming around the corner. I love it. I love it. Please go and uh, see the kids in their new space. I would encourage you, even if you don't have kids, maybe after church today, just make a quick loop through there and uh, see where uh, the the next generation is hearing the truth of the Lord. Uh, Speaking of the next generation, we have another special group with us today. Uh, Back in this area is a group from Kentucky Changers. Teens uh, from all over the state are converging on Shelbyville this week. We have one group here with us today, and uh, they will be working all across our community to help renovate uh, homes in need. And uh, it's pretty cool that we get the opportunity for them to be here with us this morning. We're going to eat lunch with them after church. Uh, and it's just, it's just an amazing ministry that we have going here uh, in Kentucky and, and this week in Shelby County. Uh, I, too... From 2000 to 2005, was part of a youth group. I was part of the largest youth group 
in Davies County, Indiana. I mean, that's a big deal. We were a big deal. Uh, we lived in the middle of cornfields, so pretty much everyone drove their tractor to church on Wednesday nights. It was amazing. And some of what I've told you is true, and some of what I've just told you is a lie. But how do you know which is which, you know? It's, uh, it, was, it was really a good time to, to be a part of that church in the early 2000s. We weren't unlike a lot of teens uh, during that time, being a part of a youth group. It was kind of the cool thing to do back then. But I learned this week that many of those early 2000s youth groups were the original source for what has become the leading worldview in America today. I'm going to use some big words, then we're going to talk about them. That worldview is known as moralistic therapeutic deism. You're like, what? What is what? Moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, there was a study done in 2021, uh, research uh, titled The American Worldview Inventory, that showed that nearly four out of ten adults are more likely to embrace elements of this, uh, this idea, moralistic therapeutic deism, than other popular worldviews, including what they would call biblical theism, which is the idea that we believe in the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible. So, so what is this moralistic, therapeutic deism? Here are some of the, the ideas that would come along with that. Uh, people who ascribe to this worldview believe in a God who remains distant from people's lives. So there, there's a God out there somewhere. Because there's a God out there somewhere, they would say, well, people are supposed to be good to each other. They're, they're supposed to have morals, Right? And they would say that the universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. You're like, I, can, I think I can get down with a lot of those things. Like, they, those things sound pretty good. And they would also then go on to say these things, that there are no absolute moral truths. There's a lot of gray areas. And they would say that God allows good people into heaven. And they would also say yes uh, or believe or uphold the idea that, that God places very limited demands on people, all grace, all the time. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. We want to be good people. We have people of morals. But we want to be therapeutic. We want things to feel good. And because we want things to feel good, that, that becomes our God. Things that are good and feel good. George Barna, the author of the report, explained, Consequently, this approach to spirituality asks little of its followers while providing the comfort, convenience, and community that they long for. You see, here's kind of the, the fallout of some of those things. 75% of the people who subscribe to this worldview call themselves Christians while also affirming these statements. I don't believe that people are sinful and need salvation through Jesus Christ. I trust sources other than the Bible for moral guidance. I contend that good people get to heaven through good behavior. I don't believe that the Bible is true and reliable communication from God. You see, there's this idea that uh, at surface value sounds really good. We want to be good people. And yeah, there's a God out there. But underneath it all, they don't believe the truth of God's word. And as the predominant worldview in our country, here's something that we should realize. 
It is more likely that our culture will teach you this than any other worldview. It is more likely that this we, these will be the ideas that, that you are being taught and, and, and you know, influenced by. But it's not just the culture who is teaching you this. It's your friends who have accepted these ideas as their own. It's parents who emphasize rituals more than they do repentance. It's, it's ministers, apparently a lot of them in the early 2000s, who valued people feeling comfortable over people following Christ. Those realities bring a new weight when we read John's words that Kenny read to us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus himself warned us similarly uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You, you see, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, but you just think about it. Sheep's clothing, it's, it's wool. It's, it's soft. It's fuzzy. It's warm and cute. They're comfortable and acceptable and convenient. But on the inside, it says they're ravaging. They're stealing from us all the joy we have in Christ. You see, these false prophets, they sell you false joy before stealing your real joy. Let me give a, another example. Consider the sexual revolution that has swept through America in the last couple generations. This movement has challenged the biblical ethics of sexual relationships. And, and the quote-unquote teachers in this movement have taught that, that our sexuality and our sexual encounters are only bound by what we want, what I prefer. A sexual ethic without boundaries, then, has, has led to the normalization of things like contraceptives and, and the pill. Public nudity is more normal. Pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, masturbation, alternate forms of sexuality, the legalization of abortion, all those things have come with this sexual revolution. You see, the sexual revolution went from asking for acceptance to insisting on affirmation of one another's choices. And along the way, it began to falsely teach us that there should be no boundaries. Ironically, maybe not ironically, the odds are each person in this room have probably experienced how one of those sexual freedoms promised joy only to have our joy stolen as we drown in the undercurrent of guilt and shame that our sexual choices often bring. Selling you false joy, stealing your real joy. Y'all, false, false prophets still exist. They still exist. In John's letter, these false prophets were teaching that, that Jesus was not from God. God did not send him. They weren't denying, you see, that Jesus was a good guy. He was a good guy. They were simply denying that he was who he said he was. It reminds me of the Mormon religion that teaches that Jesus was a human who progressed to being God instead of Jesus being the Christ, the eternal God, who was, who, who is, and, and who is to come, who never changes. There's a big difference in those two. Because, you see, if Christ was ever not God... His ability to be the perfect sin, sinless sacrifice is, is gone. 
And if that's gone, so too is your forgiveness, the forgiveness of your sins. So in a world where we now know that the majority of people don't hold a, a biblical worldview, testing the spirits, as John urges in verse 1, and all of a sudden it seems like a really important task, like this is an urgent thing. But, but not only that, it's essential in experiencing joy in Christ. Because these false prophets, their real plan is to steal your joy. So how? How do we, how do we test the spirits? And, and, and while we're asking that question, why does that feel like such a daunting task? The Lord himself described false prophets to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 14, 14. And it gives us some initial filters for what it might look like to test a spirit. It says, but the Lord said to me, well, these prophets are, are prophesying a lie in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, worthless divination, the deceit of their own minds. Some questions immediately come to mind to, that help us to test the spirit. Is what they are saying coming true? Uh, can, can they give evidence that God has sent them or, or spoken to them? Or are these just their ideas? But even with those questions, it, it still feels daunting to, to test the spirits. Why? You see, sin and sin's author, Satan, whispers lies to our hearts about our identity that causes us to question our ability to, to test the spirits. Questions start to stir in us like, well, who am I to tell you what to believe? Questions like, who am I to judge? Self-doubt, like, shouldn't I just worry about myself? And when those questions begin to stir in us, even though we believe the truth or we think we believe the truth, right, we end up with this cowering faith, this backpedaling faith. If I were to put it into the form of an equation for, for you math folks out there, false teaching plus sin equals a cowering faith. And that cowering faith says, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to be a good person who tries to experience some joy and happiness in this world. And guess what that is? Moralistic, therapeutic deism. There is no joy in a cowering faith. And yet, many of us live and operate out of this reality. I mean, we're just hoping that we and our kids and our grandkids, like, man, I just hope we don't fall prey to the false prophets of our day. Like, Lord, just keep us on the right path. Like, that would be great. But what happens is that our cowering faith leaves us feeling very alone in our faith. We're, we're huddled up in the corner, alone and away from those who can help us walk in the truth. Anybody ever seen the TV show Alone? I know Eric has. He introduced it to me last weekend. I'd heard maybe about it some, but uh, we were all hanging out, holiday weekend, we were at his house, and we walked back to their little TV room, and he's got this show, and he's like, you got to watch this. So before we know it, there's several of us in this little tiny room sucked into this episode of Alone. The premise is simple for this show, in case you aren't familiar. There's 10 contestants. They are alone in the wilderness. They, they get to take a few objects with them, and the last one standing wins cash. 
Right? They, they, if they can make it alone in the wilderness for longer than the other nine people, they win. But anytime that you are ready to be done with this little social experiment of being alone in the wilderness, you can use the satellite phone to call these rescuers to come and save you from whatever, whatever you need saving from. Right? So we're watching this episode, and there's a guy. He has no weapon, and he has used a tarp to make a tent in the middle of Noah. He's, he's alone. And all was well. You know, he's talking a big game, and here's my plan, and you know, I'm going to win the money, and it's, you know, it's kind of hard to be away from my family, but I'm going to do real good, and da 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 Next thing you know, they, show, they cut to this scene, and there's a bear. And the bear starts moving towards him, and then the, you know, the camera gets all jumbled, and it cuts to commercial, because we've got to have drama. And when it comes back, he's on this camera, hiding in his tarp tent. Tarp tent, bear. And he's like, I'm talking real loud on this camera, and I just backed away, and I was saying, hey, bear. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. And he's like, I'm just going to keep talking loud, so maybe the bear will move away from me. And I'm like, you've got it. Like, this is crazy. His defense is to hide in a tarp tent saying, hey, bear, as loud as he can, until somebody comes to rescue him. It's an incredible picture of a cowering faith. It wasn't that he didn't believe that his rescuers were coming, but he was retreating with no defense, crying out for help, shuddering in this defenseless position. Hey, bear! Hoping that he wouldn't fall prey to the lies and ways of the world. There is no joy in that. That is not the life that Christ intends for you. And yet many of us live that way. It's a picture of our spiritual journeys, hoping that Jesus saves us before the enemy gets us. In the show, it took several hours for the rescuers to come. Can you imagine the wait like, how long did he say, hey, bear, real loud? I don't, I, like, it's crazy to imagine waiting for hours in a tarp tent, hoping that the bear doesn't come crashing in. But you want some really good news? Spiritually, our rescuer has already come. He's already come. And that's exactly what John wants to remind us of. If you've got your, your text open, turn back to verse 2 in 1 John chapter 4. John says, listen, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it's already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus came so that you could conquer. Jesus came so that you could conquer. You have the ability to test the spirits because Jesus came from God, as God, in the flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for your sins. And believing that truth makes you a child of God whose spirit lives in you. And as a child of God, little children, you have already conquered false prophets by believing the truth that the one who is living in you is greater than the one who is living in the world. 
That's incredibly good news for us. Jesus came so that you could conquer. Jesus spoke all the time about why he came. You start flipping through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading these accounts, and, and you hear him talk about why he came. And I want us to listen in and, and hear from him why he came. In John 18, 37, Pilate is, is questioning Jesus as Jesus is getting ready to, to go to the cross. And Pilate says, you're a king then? You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. Jesus says, here's my purpose. I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, when Jesus came as the Son of God and as God, he came to bear witness to the truth. He wanted everyone to know and to see the truth. Because the truth of who Jesus is exposes the lies of the enemy. That's why Jesus came. Jesus also came because people were spiritually lost and didn't know that truth. You may remember Zacchaeus. Wee little guy was he. Climbed into a sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord. And when he came down, from that tree and repented from his sinful ways, Jesus said this to him in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You see, Jesus has already come to find all of us shuddering in our earthly tents and to save us from the enemy. And he couldn't do that without being God and, and without being from God. You see, this claim that Jesus is saying, that, like, I'm the Son of Man who's come to seek and save the lost. It, in making this claim, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins. But the good news is that he doesn't even just save us out of our lostness and, and leave us there in the wilderness. Like, can you imagine if somebody just came out to that bear, shot the bear, and said, hey, you're good to go now. No, you're terrified at that point. Like, you're, I, I don't want to run into any more bears. Get me out of here. Jesus had that same approach. Jesus had something to say about this idea one Sabbath in Nazareth. He was asked to read Scripture at the synagogue. Uh, Kenny, watch out. You had to read Scripture today. I, you know, you had a tough act to follow. Jesus was reading Scripture at the synagogue one day in Luke 4, verse 18 and following. Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, and then he drops the mic on everybody. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's reading this from Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant. And sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. And Jesus began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus lets them know in that very moment, He is the one proclaiming to the captives in the room that they are released. 
to all those in the room and to all those he would preach to who were spiritually blind, who were physically blind, he was going to make them see. In other words, when he finds you lost and afraid, he saves you, but he doesn't leave you where you're at. He came so that you could conquer the enemy who has already been defeated, to begin walking with him and proclaiming this truth with him. Notice how John says it in verse 4. You're from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Not you will conquer them. Not you might conquer them. Not you can conquer them if you try really hard. You have conquered them. The match is over. And then he tells us why. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You see, conquering false prophets isn't about refuting them or or winning the argument. It's about first believing that the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Faith always precedes understanding. It's first about believing and trusting that God's Spirit in you will win 10 out of 10 times when up against the false teachers of this world. Like, okay, Blake. I believe. I, I, I believe or I want to believe that. Like, I believe, but what is my role in getting my joy back? Like, if they're trying to steal my joy, how do I get it back? How do I reclaim the joy of Christ taken from us by false teachers? We have to teach others the truth. Here's why. John, who wrote this letter, wrote another letter called 3 John. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, John writes this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. That I might make them uncomfortable, but could you not see the midkiffs beaming as they thought about their children serving and walking in the truth? When you see your kids or your grandkids begin to get it, don't you just, isn't there just a joy that's like indescribable? There is no greater joy than to hear that your children are walking in truth. The the same is true on the flip side. Whenever you walk in the truth, it not only restores joy to you, it brings joy to all those who spiritually parented you. It follows then that we gain joy when we teach others to walk in the truth. That when we teach someone else what it is to walk in the truth, to know the truth about who God is and and how he's working in this world, when we teach others the truth and they begin to walk in it, we experience joy that there is no joy greater than. Christ community, we need more people willing to teach the truth about Jesus to others. Community is great. Serving is great. We need more people to teach the truth to others so that you can experience the joy of seeing God's children walk in that truth. I want that joy for you. I want that joy for me. But more than that, I want that joy for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the catch this is not easy. It is not easy to teach others about walking in the truth of God. Far from it. It comes with great responsibility. It it comes with with hard work and often the agony of learning things the hard way and, and sometimes watching those that you're teaching learn things the hard way. 
But the joy, the joy of seeing people walk in the truth of Christ is more than worth it. This is the tension that John describes in verse 6. He says, listen, we're from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who's not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. He says, listen, there, there is no choice. Like we, need, we need to be teaching others the truth. Some are going to listen and some are not. But he's not giving us an option as to whether or not we should be teaching the truth. We can't make people know God, but we can teach those who do know him. And, and hear this too, it's not about talking people into Jesus. Because if you can talk someone into it, they can be talked out of it. It's about teaching the truth to those who will listen. We need more teachers of the truth. Here's what we're going to do next. I'm going to put on the screen a QR code, and it's just going to, it's going to stay up there. Uh, and I'm going to talk about several opportunities, several areas, several people that need to be taught the truth. And if the Lord calls you, if the Lord burdens you, if the Lord says, I need your yes to teach them the truth, then scan that, fill it out, put in the code, like do the things, right? And also hear my heart in this. Like we use these things, but we want to be connecting as people. So if you're like, forget that and just come find me later, that's great. I would prefer it, okay? We need more teachers of the truth. Let's start as far away as we can think. We need more missionaries. Friday, I went to peoplegroups.org, I think. It's either .org or .com. Peoplegroups.org. As of Friday, there are 3,217 unengaged and unreached people groups. That means that no one is even engaging them with the truth of the gospel. No one is teaching them the truth. Our partners at the International Mission Board celebrated on Friday with a tweet that said, we have just over a thousand people in a pipeline to be sent as missionaries. That doesn't mean they'll go to these groups, but even if they do, we're like 2,000 some short. We're probably more than that short. Would you teach those people the truth that have never even heard the truth of who Jesus is? Teens, I want to talk specifically to you for just a moment. Teens, early 20s. If you go to go2years.net, there's an incredible partner a program through our partner at the International Mission Board, where when you finish college, you can choose to spend two years in a city where one of these missionaries is working, helping them. You can do it here in North America, you can do it internationally, and you say, I'm just going to start my career, like you're, you're trying to figure it out anyway. Start your career by spending two years serving with a missionary, encouraging them as they teach the truth to others. Maybe that's for you, teens. Go to years.net. But let's start bringing it closer to home. Let's talk about teaching the truth to our community. 87% of Shelby County is not regularly attending a local church. Jesus came to seek and save those lost, remember? John Otten, the director of our local association, our, our network, he shared his perspective on the lostness that exists right here in Shelby County. He told this story in a meeting recently. He said, I want you to picture yourself getting ready for church. <laughs> for some of you, that's like, that's chaos. It may be. Or maybe Sundays are a slow morning for you. Whichever. You do that, you hop in the car, you take off towards church. 
you're thinking about a million things, and while you're thinking about a, neighbor, a million things, you pass your neighbor's house, and then the house after that, and the next, and the next, and the next. He said, I want you to realize that nine out of the ten houses that you pass are not walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's sobering. My question is this. Who will teach them the truth about Jesus Christ? Who will teach them about salvation in Christ alone? We need more teachers of the truth. But we can bring it even closer to home. Groups here at Christ Community, you heard the Midkiffs talk about it. 35% of our church is not in a group. That doesn't mean that they don't want to be, that they're not trying, but that's just the hard numbers, right? And while there is always an open chair in our community groups, I'm just going to be honest with you, most of our groups are healthy and reaching size constraints. We need more teachers of the truth. We need more people who are willing to gather people and teach the truth. We have a list of people asking to be taught in our D groups. Who will be willing to step up? Who will be willing to, to do the hard thing and take responsibility and teach the truth of God's word? Could it be you? Here's the cell. It's going to be hard. There's no shortcuts. You'll have to put an extra time to learn the truth to be able to teach it. It will take time. It will take priority in your life. But I tell you this, there's no greater joy than to hear that spiritual children are walking in the truth. Community kids, edge students, if we believe that the best way to learn is to teach, and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm able to teach. Do you want to grow in your understanding of the truth? Work with the next generation. Teach them. And as you work to explain the truth to students and kids, you'll work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We need more teachers of the truth. Maybe you're like, maybe I just got to get started in my own home. Family devotions. Parents, your kids will either be taught by the world or by the truth. The answer is not to stick our heads in the sand or cower in our tarp tents and hope that everything turns out all right. Reactive parenting doesn't exist. It is not a thing. The solution is to proactively teach our kids the truth. One verse at a time, one day at a time, one conversation at a time, one church gathering at a time, proactively teaching our kids the truth. If you want to really go next level, how can you begin to include your older kids in teaching your younger kids? Because as they think about what it means to teach their little brother or little sister, they are learning the truth even more deeply. If you need some help with this, Krista has all the resources. She's got all the things. We need more people teaching the truth. But while they're teaching that truth, we need more people who believe that God's power in you is greater than what's in the world. Jesus came so that you could conquer, not cower. Are you with me? Rosaria Butterfield, I've quoted this book probably way too many times in the last month or so. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. The gospel comes with a house key. In her book, she writes openly about her, um, her mom's antagonistic atheism. She was not only an atheist, she was the kind that was going to get up in your chili about it, let you know. And in many chapters and stories, Rosaria describes this woman who raised her as this incredibly brash woman with progressive ideas that countered the truth that God teaches in his word. And then she begins to share 
in detail the days when her mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Her rejection of so many of the, the, these things caused her to just, you know, she didn't even want to go to hospice care, but finally she goes and she's admitted. And she's laying on her deathbed, and as she does, she turns to her daughter, Rosaria, who was sitting by her side, and she says to her, I'm dying my way, not yours. You need to respect that. I've read your books, and if anything was going to make me Christian, it would have been them. And then she said something that, you know, just burns into your soul. She says, Rosaria, I am not weak like you. Can you imagine saying that to your kid on your deathbed? And still, Rosaria sat by her mother's side. She took care of her as she was dying. She took care of her while being completely defeated about the lostness of her mother. Five days in to hospice care, Rosaria writes these words about the realization that she had. Not everyone can come to Christ in the fullness of life, while the world, the flesh, and the devil are raging and strong. But anyone led by the Spirit can come to Christ on the deathbed when the flesh is weak. Anyone. Even my mother. And then she writes this burning question. Who will proclaim the fullness of Christ in the presence of this weakness? Who will tell her the truth? So in that moment, Rosaria began singing the Psalms to her mother on her deathbed. And it was as she sang Psalm 23 that her mother realized that in death, she was becoming weak, not strong. And so she asked Rosaria, Rosaria, how is my soul being made strong? Rosaria began to softly explain to her how her soul bears the image of the Creator God. He, she was created in the image of God. And that is how. That is what's making her soul strong, even as her body wastes away. And then a question that her mom asked back that will stick with me forever. Do you really believe this crap? And when Rosaria responded, yes, her mother said, maybe I'm becoming weak like you. How come I don't understand? Rosaria says, maybe you don't know the shepherd of Psalm 23. And then her mom asked to be introduced. And as they finished Psalm 23, Rosaria's mom makes peace with God and repents of her sin. And two days later, she was in the presence of God as a believer in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the power of God. And the power of God in you is greater than what's in this world. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Here at Christ Community, we do. We believe that truth. And that truth of the gospel is celebrated each week here at the communion table. For all of you who are baptized believers in Christ, we remember that Jesus Christ came, fully God and fully man, to seek and to save the lost and to make them more than conquerors in Christ. 
for all of you who have been baptized and, and, and proclaim to the world your belief in that, we invite you here in just a couple moments as the band comes back to, to walk in that truth. And as you walk in that truth today, you make your way to the outside, you come up, you take the bread and the cup. I want you to, to realize for just a moment that you're walking in truth with great joy as you come to the table. And it would and it does bring great joy to the people in your life who have taught you the truth about who God is. It brings them great joy to know that you're walking in truth today. If you're not walking in that truth, would you? Would you? Would you, would you be just bold enough to believe that the God of the universe came as the only begotten Son, fully God and fully man in the flesh to save you from your sins. If you believe it, great joy is on the other side, both for you and for this church family that wants to walk with you in that truth, to teach you that truth. If you need to make a decision about becoming a believer for the first time today, I want to invite you to join us in the back. Uh, Kenny will be back there, and he would be glad to walk with you in that truth, to teach you that truth, to pray with you to the God who loves you enough to send his only son. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we believe that your power in us is greater than what's in the world. Would you help our unbelief? Would you help us to walk in that truth despite the questions that the enemy throws at us? Would you help us to know the truth as we have conversations with friends and family members and people in our community that don't know the truth? Would you protect us from false prophets, the things of this world that are telling us lies and ultimately stealing our joy? Lord, would you call each of us, to teach others the truth. To put in the, the time, the effort, the responsibility to learn the truth so that we might be able to teach it to our kids, to our friends, to our peers, to those who have never heard. We believe that you'll do just that, Lord. And so with great confidence in you, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, we hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. 
One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in and experience Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.